Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious God, we pray that you would do for us here today what you did for your own disciples so long ago. That you would open our minds to the truth of the Scriptures. That we would hear your gospel anew. That we would see that Jesus is true life and that we would cling to Him and draw near to Him as He has drawn near to us by taking on our humanity. And so, fulfill these prayers of ours for the sake of that same Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are now, once again, coming through this season of Easter. We're to the third Sunday of Easter. Three Sundays we have been reflecting on this very first night This very first day of the resurrection. Isn't that kind of amazing to think about that? On Easter Sunday, we focused in on that morning, the events that happened. And then immediately following that, the next week, last week, we talked about this first night with the disciples of Jesus appearing in the room and jumping then forward to a week after that. And now here again, we are beginning once more on that first night after the resurrection, that first moment And getting to hear another account of it, hearing a slightly different perspective that's emphasizing other events that were happening that John didn't mention. That's emphasizing a little bit of a difference here. But it's not a contradiction, it's just adding more detail that John didn't include. And it's a beautiful thing to hear the gospel writers working together, to hear their writings coming together, and to reflect on the importance of Jesus' death and resurrection Something that we should do every single day of our lives because that is the crux of all of reality. All of history turns on that death and resurrection of Jesus. For that death and resurrection is what brings healing into this world and that it is through Jesus' death and resurrection that He is undoing death, darkness, and separation from God the Father for us and for the world. His death and resurrection leads to that undoing of death, darkness, and separation. And for that, I think we should respond like those disciples that first night who disbelieved for joy, who could say, this is too good to be true that this one man's death and resurrection undoes everything that is broken in this world. Even death itself, our most feared enemy, is undone. That one thing that we know is coming after all of us. (coughs) That one thing that will pursue us And lay hold of us all. That is the great equalizer. As one of my professors once said, quoting I know another important theologian that he didn't mention. But death is that great equalizer and Jesus has overcome it and all that comes with it. And so that's the first thing we're going to see here in our text. The undoing of death that Jesus Jesus accomplishes. And here we begin on that first night of the resurrection once more. And Jesus just appears To the disciples. It's the same scene as what we heard about in John last week. Where John focused on the giving of the Spirit to the disciples. To the eleven who were there. The ten who were actually there. Because the eleven becomes kind of a technical way of referring to the whole of the disciples. Between the resurrection and the appointing of Matthias. Whether or not all eleven are there. And so here Luke just simply refers to them as the eleven. That they are the ones who are gathered in that room along with others. And we know that from a few verses before. Because 
On the road to Emmaus, two other disciples met Jesus, and they heard about him, and they learned from him, and he explained to them all of scriptures, and he opened their minds up to it. And then as soon as they broke bread, he disappeared, and they realized that it truly was Jesus, and they ran back to Jerusalem nearly seven miles away. They rushed back to Jerusalem that evening to tell the disciples about it, to tell the other disciples that they had seen the Lord. And that's what we hear about in verse 33 is that they rose that same hour, those disciples of Emmaus, and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together and they told them. And that's where we start out in verse 36. And they were talking about these things. That is, the, all of the disciples together were talking about how the Lord had been appearing to different people and showing up and them not being able to grasp the reality of what happened of what was going on, of all that was occurring for them right now. And then Jesus shows up, demonstrating that He had undone death itself. He shows up in the midst of all of His disciples, of all of His disciples that were gathered together. And they were startled and frightened because of the sudden appearance, and He speaks peace to them because He has undone death. With death no longer being something in the way, He now brings peace to His disciples and to all of us as we have heard so often that peace that He gives. John focuses on that peace more in his passage. Here, Luke focuses on the disciples' response of their fear, of their startledness, of them thinking that they've seen a spirit or a ghost, that they just it just is unfathomable that this is the man Jesus standing before them. It must be a ghost or a spirit of Him, but not really Him in His physical body. And He challenges them. Why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? And he shows them his hands and his feet. And he says, touch me and see. Lay hold of me. Cling to me and see that I am real. I am not just a spirit. I am not some ethereal ethereal being. But I am flesh and bone and blood and sinew standing before you. And so he shows that to them. And they begin believing a little Little by little, they begin believing more and more. But it was still too good to be true that Jesus has undone death itself. And we hear even more deeply from the epistle of John about how they saw Him, how they clung to Him, that they had heard of Him, that which was from the beginning, that which was before the beginning, that logos, that word, that pre-existed all things because He is God Himself of one being with the Father, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit pre-existing because they have always been before the creation of anything. But yet, the one who is from the beginning is the one that they have heard, that they have seen with their eyes, that they have looked upon and touched with their hands, the Word of life. And He was manifest before them. And again, John in his excitement is like, we have seen it. And we testify and proclaim to you that eternal life. We give witness to it of what the Father has manifested to us. They have gazed upon the Lord Himself. That it's not just a seeing with their eyes momentarily, but it is a taking in. It is a meditating upon, a contemplating, a looking and gazing. Like we would do to some great piece of art. To contemplate the meaning of this reality that before us. And here Jesus is standing before them and they gaze upon Him. Over the course of those 40 days after His resurrection, they gazed upon Him and they dwelt with Him and they contemplated and they meditated 
on what all of this meant as he revealed more and more to them of what it truly meant for them that he has undone death. Death itself has been put away. Death itself has been overcome and destroyed by the Messiah enduring death. By the Messiah going down into the grave. By the Messiah giving in to death itself. But only momentarily because he was then raised back Not with mortal life once more, but with an immortal kind of life, a new quality of life, the eternal life that he has, that he has always had in his divine being has now flooded into his human being, into his humanity. He is filled with that life that the Father has given to him that he now pours out to all of us, that he has undone death for our sake, that we might not fear death anymore, that we might not fear the end because it is but a new beginning. For to endure death is means that we can go on to new life. That we will see that new life that is hidden within us now manifest to its fullness in the resurrection. As Bishop N.T. Wright has said, we will get to experience life after life after death. We always think of, we're just trying to get to life after death into that heavenly realm to separate from our physical bodies, but there is more to it. There is life that comes after that life after death. For those souls that are purified will be reunited with purified bodies that just as Jesus has risen from the dead in a new and yet old glorified body, a renewed glorified body, we too will participate in that same kind of bodily life. That new eternal life will be poured into our physical bodies to reshape and renew and refresh them to strip the vestiges of sin away that we would no longer die that we would live an immortal life with the Father and a new heavens and a new earth with Jesus at our side, knowing that He has undone death and that is no more to be feared or worried about or contemplated, for death is undone by Jesus' resurrection. And not only does He undo death itself, as important as that is, He then goes on to to bring about the undoing of darkness. And here Luke shifts gears. He shifts the scene, I think. Because if you keep reading from 44 all the way to the end of the chapter, they're suddenly at the ascension. But it seems like it still might be Sunday night of the resurrection. But we know it's not. We know that 40 days pass from the other gospel writers, from St. Paul himself speaking about it. And so here, I think Luke has shifted scenes and he is giving us a summation, a summary of everything that Jesus taught them during those 40 days. And he's giving it to us in a beautiful summary statement. And that statement is, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That everything that had come before that all of Scripture would be fulfilled in this man Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. That he would fulfill all of that, that all of that was written about what he was going to do. And then he opened their minds. And here is where the undoing of darkness comes for the disciples. He opens their minds to understand the Scripture. There's another place in Scripture where someone's eyes are opened, where two people in particular's eyes are opened. And that was Adam and Eve in the garden. There, Satan says, you shall not surely die when you eat of the fruit, but your eyes will be opened and you will know good and evil. You will be like God Himself now. And they ate of the fruit and their eyes were opened. 
But it wasn't an opening into light. It was an opening into darkness. For they chose disobedience and unbelief. They chose to not trust God's gracious word, His good word to not eat of that fruit, to trust Him to bring about their understanding of good and evil. To discover that they would come to understand good and evil by living faithfully with trust and obedience toward the Father, toward God Himself, toward Yahweh, that they would learn that good and evil through obedience, but instead they chose their own path. They chose unbelief. They chose disobedience. And when their eyes were opened, it was opened unto darkness. And all of us now live in that same darkness that they lived in. That darkness flooded over all of humanity from them on. All of humanity is caught up in that darkness. But here Jesus looks to His disciples and He opens their minds up now. He opens their eyes to understand the Scriptures. He causes them to grasp the reality of what the Scriptures are teaching that Moses and the prophets and the Psalms have been fulfilled in Jesus. The darkness is cast away from their minds and suddenly they see Yahweh more fully, more beautifully, more completely than they ever have. They come to see that the reality is that He has been working to bring about the salvation of the world. That He set apart all of Israel for a purpose starting with Abraham. That through Abraham and his seed, all of the world might be blessed. And from there it carried on as Israel grew and grew and grew and finally having King David, the pinnacle of what it meant to be a king for Israel. With all of his failings and foibles, he turned and continually repented and pursued Yahweh to be described as a man after God's own heart, becoming the archetype of what the Messiah would look like. One who would fight for God's people, who would throw off the Gentiles, who would push away the Gentiles and establish God's kingdom on earth. All of that was all ultimately pointing toward the Messiah. And as the prophets wrote and continued to write there during that time and on into the exile, they pointed the people to a Messiah who would suffer, who would take away sin, who would die, and yet would still see His offspring, those who would come to trust and to be covered by His death. Meaning that there's this hint of resurrection that there would be some kind of Resurrection, renewal of this suffering servant that he could somehow even in death see his offspring spring forth. His offspring being all of those who benefited from his death. Who benefited from him taking upon their iniquities. Taking their sins upon himself before the Father. Their eyes and their minds were opened so that darkness could be undone. The darkness that had clouded them and kept them from seeing that this suffering Messiah had to suffer and die. As Jesus says, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That is the summation. That right there is supposed to happen, but they couldn't see that until Jesus opened their minds. Until He undid the darkness that was occurring in them, that was stuck in them because of them being sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Because all of us are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and so we are born into that same darkness. But Jesus, by His grace, undoes it. He has undone it in His death and resurrection that that darkness can be dealt with, that it can be cast away, that He becomes the light that we look upon. Again, as St. John says in in his first epistle, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So of course, when Jesus has accomplished His death and resurrection, dealing with sin, undoing death itself, He can undo darkness by being that light, that He can be the fulfillment of who God is 
in being a man. That He can show us who God truly is by bringing the light to us and scattering the darkness. And even if we fall back into that darkness, we can turn away from that darkness. We can turn and confess that darkness that we have followed after it and confess our sins and be forgiven because that is who God is. He is faithful and just to forgive us. He will take away our unrighteousness. He will purge the darkness from us. And any time that darkness comes back, we can look back to the light and have our minds reopened to that light so that the darkness can be undone and put away. And that leads us to the last part of what Jesus does for His disciples here this evening. They have seen in His resurrection that He has undone death. They have seen that the Scriptures promised that He would undo the darkness that had clouded our eyes and our minds. And now, He goes about with the undoing of separation. He says that repentance for the forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Repentance for forgiveness. Repentance to receive forgiveness. That shall be proclaimed and preached to all the nations. To all nations, they will come to hear that Jesus has died and been raised. That they might be forgiven and they will be called to turn away from their sins. To turn away from those dark deeds. To turn away from the darkness that is in them and to see the light in a new kind of way. And that's where we have to reflect what is the repentance he is talking about here. Repentance is just simply a turning around. A changing of mind. The Greek metanoia is used throughout the Old Testament in the Greek translation of it, in the Septuagint. It is used to translate the word shuv, which simply means turn. To turn around. And often it has becomes a moral explanation of turning from sin and turning back to God. And so that's what repentance is. It's a turning from our sins back to God. And when you hear that there is forgiveness... When you hear that you can be forgiven of your sins, that should be our response. To know that those things, those deeds, those lawless acts that we have committed are forgiven. There is no more separation between us and God because He dealt with those sins. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, forgiveness is poured out to us and we are called to repentance. And that is what will be preached by these disciples and by all who follow in the name of Jesus That repentance, turning from your sins, will be declared. A turning from saying, I am in the right. A turning from idolatry of self. A turning around from living as the center of the universe. From living as the center of reality. From living as though you are God and can decide what is right and wrong. Because we have knowledge of good and evil now, and so isn't that our right to decide what is right and what is wrong? But it isn't our right. It is only God's right alone to decide what is right and wrong, and what is right and wrong comes directly out of who God is. But by Jesus' death and resurrection, that sin of idolatry, that sin of claiming to be the center, that sin of claiming I am in the right over and against God is undone. It is forgiven. It is cast away. And now God calls us to respond to that casting away, to that forgiveness, to receive that forgiveness. That forgiveness becomes manifest in us as we turn, as we repent, as we work, 
and strive and look toward the goodness of God now. As we turn from our idolatry of self, from our idolatry of independence, from our idolatry in our separation from God, and embrace the God who has embraced us. Jesus undoes that separation. He brings that forgiveness more and more into us, and He brings the life of repentance more and more into us. He enables us to repent. He enables us to turn from those sins. And those sins still remains in us, and we will fall back into whatever sins we have struggled with or whatever new sins come along our path. We can turn from them whenever they happen. The Christian life is a life of repentance. It is a life of turning from sin day in and day out, living in the reality that we are baptized believers. Living in the reality that all that we have been given, all of the promises of God have been bestowed upon us through baptism and we cling to that reality. The promises of God given to each of us individually that you have been forgiven. And so you're empowered to turn from your sin now. You're empowered to turn around. To say, I once was the, thought I was a truth teller. I once acted as though I was a truth teller. But I see now that I am the liar. And that God is the truth teller. Again, back to 1 John, that's exactly what he reminds the people that he's writing to. That if we say we have no sin, if we say that we are in the right, if we say that we haven't sinned, then we turn God into a liar. And God cannot lie. God cannot be a liar. He is always a truth teller, and so something must give. And that something that must give is the fact that God gives forgiveness of our idolatry. He gives us forgiveness so that we can turn around, so that we can run away from our sins and run to Jesus. And so He undoes that separation. He undoes that which has separated us from God the Father so that we can know Him, so that we can know His goodness and His mercy in Jesus for us. And as part of that undoing of separation, He gives to His disciples the promise of the Holy Spirit. And this is how we know that this definitely isn't happening on that first night because He tells them to stay in the city until they're clothed with power from on high. In some of the other Gospels, He tells them to go to Galilee to meet with Him. And so we know that they traveled all over Israel, meeting with Jesus in different places, Him opening their eyes more and more. And here is that summation that He opened their minds to undo darkness. And in undoing that darkness, He undoes separation for all of us. He opens our minds that we can respond and repent and know that forgiveness, that we can live in the forgiveness of sins that has been proclaimed and we can then be sent out to bring that same proclamation that we are called from our sins, that we are called away because we have been forgiven and there's no need to dwell in our sins anymore. And so look to Jesus, look to that light and look away from darkness to Him alone to know that all things have been healed, all things have been made right, all things have been undone that were broken. For He undoes death, He undoes darkness, and He undoes separation for our sake to bring us to the Father as a holy and beautiful people, a healed people, and a people who are desirous to do and to act and to live as God calls us to. And that when we fail, and we will fail, 
He gives us forgiveness anew. That forgiveness is always poured out to lead us back to repentance, to lead us back to turning away. And so may we embrace this Jesus. May we embrace this Jesus who has given us forgiveness and embrace this Jesus who undoes death, who undoes the darkness of our minds and who undoes the separation between us and the Father that we can be reconciled and redeemed by that same Father in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so may you know Him more and more and to know these gifts that He gives to us now. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.